The future belongs to those who control the culture, and the culture belongs to those who control the conversation. So we are having the conversations you wish you could have at church to build a safe and vibrant community. This is the Oz Table Talk Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Table Talk. My name is Luke and I am here with an interview episode for you. The two people that we're actually having on the show today are Caleb Isley and Tim Baumgarten. Both of them I consider good friends and they have an amazing way of viewing the world and I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. If those names both sound a little bit familiar, there's good reason for that because they've both been on the show before. Caleb was uh, here on an episode quite a while back. Well, actually, both of them were quite a while back, but uh, Caleb's episode was... Uh, building bridges instead of walls, and Tim's episode was uh, reviving a dead church. Now, both of these guys are really impressive in their own right, and I have the privilege of being in a three-way chat group with those guys where we just talk about stuff, and usually it's around in generations and how they interact and what that looks like in a church context, and some of the ideas that were coming out were just so interesting to me. I thought you guys might like it too, and so I said to I said to Tim and, and Caleb, I said, guys, we need to record this. And so I got them on a call and I really had a good time in the call. You can probably hear that um, shortly when it starts. But throughout the process, I was really challenged. And I think there's a lot of insight here that's actually useful. And it, I don't care whether you are a bit older and you're more identifying with the boomer age group or you're a bit younger and you're identifying with millennials or Gen Z or something like that. But whatever end of the the scale that you sit on, there's something in here that's going to be useful to you in how you relate to the other generations. So I hope you really enjoy it. It's probably also worth saying that, our, uh, that we belong to the same denomination, which is the Adventist Church. And so we make reference to that a lot of times, but what we say, I believe, is universal. So if you are from a different church, then just feel free to sub that out for whatever faith community you find yourself a part of. But I think these are issues that are at the very base of our culture and also our humanity. So I hope you really enjoy this episode. And if you do, Tell us in the comments, let let us know on Facebook or Instagram, and we would love to hear more from you guys. So uh, without further ado, I'll hand over to the episode, and you guys have a great time. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Oz Table Talk. Now, this is a really cool episode because I'm bringing back two people who have already been on the show for, for various reasons. So we have... Tim and Kayla, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Just to start us off, Tim, you kind of started with an idea, and I want to just—I'll just read what you wrote, and I'm going to ask you to sort of clarify it or where that where those thoughts come from. So, okay, you said the rule of baby boomers is over in the next four to five years. So, can you explain where was that coming from? Where are your thoughts on this? Okay, so you're going to have to follow me a little bit here, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, just kind of sitting back and watching politics in the United States. And so we have two very interesting choices for our candidates for president this year. Uh, Donald Trump is a baby boomer. And Joe Biden, if he's elected, will actually be the very first silent generation president ever. He'll be the only one they ever have. Um, And this kind of got me thinking about uh, baby boomers in general and things. Um, and, uh, Caleb and I talked back and forth a little bit that if you, if you kind of follow 
American culture history since the baby boom, since the you know early, uh, sorry, not mid forties, that American culture has really wrapped itself around whatever was happening with the baby boom. Child rearing and parenting was the big thing in the 1946-1947, and then as we developed into, then you think about the uh, the counterculture movement and the youth movements of the 60s and the music of the 50s and getting into the 70s, the whole keeping up with the Joneses, and it's almost like America adapted its culture to the baby boomers. Hmm. And so I've been... I, that made me think about the church and kind of how that's playing out and who our current leadership is. And it's no judgment on anyone. I don't mean it that way, but uh, I think that, you know, the oldest baby boomers are in their seventies and they're going to be stepping down here in the next years to come in larger numbers. And I think as you move back through the baby boom generation to the younger ones, uh, like me, I'm 1964, so I'm at the very youngest edge of baby boom, that um, there's not as many of us that are active in the church. And I think you remember, Luke, when we were talking about millennials not being in the church, Gen X is pretty absent as well, I think, as a whole. And so I think that the uh, younger boomers are, are probably in that group there. So I think that you're going to see a lot less. Uh, the few silents will be retiring that are still left. Uh, I think you start to see more and more of the baby boomers stepping out. And I think that the millennials are definitely showing up. And you got some extras out there advocating on behalf of the younger adults. Alan Martin comes to mind, but there don't seem to be as many of them. Is that just by nature of the fact X's are a smaller generation, or is that them being more disengaged than the previous generations? Mm, I'm going to have to cross over into opinion. But I think it's both, but I think okay. back as I grew up a bunch, uh, I grew up among a bunch of Gen Xers, so I identify very much with Gen X. I'm way more X than I'll ever be, a uh, baby boomer. So if you hear me claiming both sides, both generations, <laughs> um, I think I'm allowed because I'm a cusper there. But most of the people that I went to school with and I'm friends with all these years later, we're still very close friends. But the vast majority of them are not involved in church. And the few that are are very outspoken and, and kind of, for lack of a word, anti-establishment. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of fed up with the status quo. And when you get into times like these where people get more and more polarized – you know, they're pushing back against the traditional church because their traditional church seems to, in many cases, not all, but get more polarized against the people that are pushing against them. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, yeah, it, it does. And I mean, I want to I want to explore that a little bit more. But Caleb, you are the youngest person in this conversation. <laughs> so I'm just interested from from your perspective, because you've done a lot of things. You've got a truckload of life experience and, and certainly a lot more experience than a lot of people your age. When you mm-hmm. look around yourself in your position and in the projects that you've been working on, how have you how, how have you seen this process? What, is it, has, what has it looked like for you? Yeah. So I, for listeners that don't know, I'm 28 years old. Um, so that puts me actually on the younger end of millennials. Um, not the youngest, but, but below the middle. 
And so for me, um, I think this is especially visible in the local church setting. Like if you're not at a, a university church or if you're not at kind of one of the big churches and you're in one of the uh, much more common country church or just traditional places, uh, you see that the the church itself in the program is not like the world that you exist in six days of your week. Um, very different, not just because it's a, a religious place, but also the methods, the communication style. Uh, tithe comes to mind, for example. Um, in a lot of places, paying tithe requires you to have cash or a check. Um, I cannot, I cannot think of many other places in my life that require one of those things. Um, money is generally very quick to transfer with a, a phone app or something like that. And, and you start looking at each of these pieces and you see a church culture and a church uh, environment that was built very obviously for uh, a different time. You know, and so I think, I think, you know, it started out when I was kind of getting into the digital side of things that I really didn't know anyone else doing this. Um, this was not something that you associated with church, social media, uh, digital work, creativity, hmm. outside of singing, um, not really something that you saw a lot of. And here in the past, you know, five years or less, we've seen a digital boom. So. We see this growth of uh, especially young creative people starting things parallel to the church, but not in the church. Very often they are not sponsored by the church. Very often they are not required to have permission by the church, nothing like that. And that's almost branching off of the kind of local church culture. So we have this really interesting like dynamic between those two growing, well, one growing and one receding group. Mm-hmm. So I want to pause there because I think there's something really valuable there. And both Caleb and Tim, I'm curious on your thoughts on this. With the leadership of the church being predominantly boomer or silent, how do you think that transition to having rather than a single monolithic structure to having many parallel projects running as far as what ministry looks like now, how do you think different generations of leaders would view that? I think, I'm going to say this very loosely, I think that especially with COVID-19, COVID-19 really forced what Caleb was talking about, um, forced the the older into the digital world. And, you know, we had to move like yesterday. And all of a sudden, everybody's Facebook Live and everybody's doing Zoom church. Everybody's doing all the things that we've been trying to get done for uh, a lot of years, and and there's no resistance to it now. I'm going to cross over again into just pure opinion, but I think there's some serious possibilities here of the church as we know it looking much different in the years to come. Um, I do know that um, giving is down. And I think there's some uh, research data that backs up giving when people are in person, and especially among older groups, maybe not so much among younger. But, you know, we know that uh, lots of the conferences, I know our conferences had to do some redistricting to account for that. And it's made me just kind of pause and wonder at the end of all this, because especially here in the States, it doesn't look like COVID's going away anytime soon. 
we could very easily be sitting right where we are a year from now or you know when we began next march we're still in the same place so what does in person church look like the church hierarchy and structure does it survive that kind of change and i'm not sure that it does not for bad reasons just adapting to what comes next and um, I, th- I think COVID's going to play a big part in that. And, and I also see that feedback I get from our congregation members, even some of our older ones, they really like Zoom church. <laughs> <laughs> they like that. Uh, they do comment about missing potlucks and actually being physically together. But at the end of the day, I'm going to guess the majority have commented that they enjoy the Zoom church or some variation of it. And that makes me wonder, are they going to move some change that we might not have anticipated before? Because I know that uh, I read an article that cell phone, smartphone purchases in the U.S. have been up this year, almost bigger than ever before, and largely attributed to the whole COVID-19 and older Americans are finally getting online, buying tablets and so forth. So there, there's an opportunity there that the church might not look the way it did before all this happened. And that's just that alone. That's not even including the generational things. So I, one thing that I've noticed is that because COVID-19 pushed us online, there are a lot of older leaders even discovering that this whole world that I exist in exists. Um, yes. So, so for me, for me, from my perspective, because this is the community I work in, Adventist creatives are everywhere. I can probably list, if I had to, a hundred with their own platforms, with their own ministries, with their own missions that they did not ask permission for, right? That they just went out and started. So, podcasts are some of those, blogs are some of those, YouTube channels, and for people who did not take kind of the initiative to go online. Um, if it's outside their local church and camp meeting, there's a, a, a good chance that they do not know the extent of this community that grew in the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that people's eyes are being opened and it's like drinking from a fire hydrant, right? Like they do not realize how little they knew of a whole world of things in the church. Mm-hmm. And for some that can be scary. You know, if if someone phrased it as, you know, you have all these Adventists that are just doing stuff outside the church and, you know, you can't control that. Right. You can't you can't correct them all. Um, You can't dictate how the narrative goes. You can't answer all the criticism from them. But for some, it's really a hopeful thing, you know, especially as you look at very disconnecting Gen X, Millennial, Gen Z. Um, part of the reason they're disconnecting is because there there was this sense of, well, what I'm seeing at my local church is all there is. Well, th- this is the church experience, and I have to accept that or not. But when you discover that people are using their talents in incredible ways that you can resonate with, this gives people hope. Um, Absolutely. But an- another thing that I've noticed is a Zoom room, like if you consider a Zoom meeting a conference room where meetings are happening and important decisions are made and voices are heard, if you compare who's on a Zoom call against who was flown out to a meeting somewhere in a different state that nobody knew happened, that that's where decisions were made, you have much more 
young presence in the Zoom calls. You have people that were invited to this to make sure things didn't go wrong, to help set it up in the first place. Um, you you're, you know, you're you're aware of more people through the internet than you were before. So that means people like me are invited to speak on things like Hope Channel, things like the GC just started a an online, I think, weekly video series, right, that they didn't have before. Well, they're bringing in young voices that they wouldn't have brought in, especially for these topics, to something that they had to fly them out for. And since the Zoom meetings weren't happening, we just weren't being heard. So young voices are being brought into leadership at a much higher rate, at a much more rapid rate, just in the past few months than we've done in years. And I think this is something that is really interesting because the the kinds of young people that have been involved at, in more senior leadership, and I mean that in, in local scenarios, but also in conference scenarios, Usually the ones that uh, that get those opportunities are the ones that think and sound like older generations, right? Um, yes, yes. You know, and this is something that I've observed that I I was an only child. I grew up around a lot, a lot of people who were adults. And so my a lot of my ideas were shaped by people who were significantly older than I am. And so I didn't identify with people my own age until I was a lot older. And I mean, I had friends in that, but the way I thought was in that in that line, I was I was much more accepting of authority and leadership, and I would say, okay, well, this is the system. I'm going to work within the system, and I'm going to you know achieve change internally rather than trying to you know burn it down and start again. The kind of burn it down and start again ideas happened for me after I turned 30, but that's that's another story. But <laughs> the it, what I found interesting is that now you don't have to be like that. I mean, I. I had a lot of opportunity to lead in in very traditional local church settings from a very early age, but that was mostly, like I said, because I looked a lot like the people who were already in those positions. Whereas now, like you're saying, Caleb, the what we're seeing is people who are not necessarily looking like your average or or um, you know the normal leadership structure that we see are being invited into those positions because they have compasses that the people that are currently in those positions don't have you know they know how to navigate this new world of digital media which thanks to covid is now uh, not something that can be ignored it's something that must be embraced otherwise the church will just cease to function so it's it's really interesting the way that this has almost been like a forced intergenerational maneuver right because all of a sudden the generations have to work together in order to achieve the goals whereas that hasn't ever been the case before oh well said absolutely so as this transition takes place in in leadership uh just I guess there's a lot of different ways we could come at that, but what do you see as some of the the key features of leadership or the hallmarks of what has been typically boomer-led churches, uh, corporately and locally? What are some of the the hallmarks of that that we are looking at that are going to change in this leadership transition that we're looking at over the next few years? You know, I, from my studies and from what I do for my profession, I believe that a lot of where we have traditionally been really originated from back in the 20s and the fundamentalist movement and all that. And I think that, and I need to qualify what I'm getting ready to say, the one thing I would credit boomers in silence for doing is sticking to their guns and sticking to the beliefs that they had. In fairness to them, they genuinely believe what they're doing is right. Uh, I think that by and large that um, it's not based in phony. Usually when I'm teaching my classes at work, I have to kind of 
talk to the younger folks a little bit different and hey just understand that they genuinely believe what they're telling you and that might not necessarily fit in today's narrative but it is honest and forthright so there's there's some work for that person to do there and trying to understand that and embrace it and i would give i would give them credit for that i think that is noteworthy that you stand by your belief structure um i think that the one thing that we probably didn't get exactly right is we didn't have to change our truth to change how we talked about our truth and i think that that's where we um I think that's where we missed out. Uh, Luke, if memory serves me, you interviewed a young lady um, and uh, sometime back she was in marketing, I believe. And um, y'all talked about that it was on, it was too late for the church to, to really minister the millennials. They needed to be focused on Gen Z already. Huh. Is my memory huh. correct on this? I think that was actually Burn the Haystack, but um, that was a great episode. So definitely go and listen to those guys. They did a great job on that. I thought it was – I would I would have swore that was you, but okay, my bad. <laughs> That's okay. Um, no worries. Credit, credit to my baby boomer age there, so I'm going to claim that generation for now. <laughs> anyway, but I thought that point was really, really relevant. See, we missed the boat with you guys. We missed the boat with you guys, and by the time we woke up to we missed the boat with you guys – it was too late. We had lots of opportunities to, in the correct way, and I mean this in the correct way, to, to influence you properly, is to teach you great value systems within the structure of following Christ and how to make that work in a world that doesn't know Christ. We had a great opportunity to do that, and we didn't. We just kind of left you to your own devices, and then we were surprised when you grew up and formed your own opinions. Wow, gee, there's a surprise. And then, you know, boomers, and even through to the younger boomers like me, as youth, a very large number of us rebelled, and rebelled in big ways. Then we kind of morphed over into becoming part of the establishment, because I think that I, my opinion is, and I, I think that we realize we had all this freedom and then when we abused our freedom then we had to pay the consequences for it and uh okay it's time to grow up now and you know our version of growing up was like you were saying is looking like and adapting to that establishment that was there and um totally lost my chain of thought on that (laughs) wow that's embarrassing um, that happens. That's totally fine. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I think the, the key features of what I think that the boomers in silence leave behind is I don't think they left behind a bad structure. I think somehow more about how we administer our structure is probably more uh, where we need to focus on. And I think that the thing we didn't get right was we didn't learn to talk. Oh, and I know where now where I was going to go with that. So you were right about Gen Z. But now we're almost too late for them because they're in their 20s already. And we hadn't even started talking about Gen Alpha yet. And Gen Alpha is coming into the age where we can properly influence them towards walking with Christ and how to interact with a world that doesn't know Christ. I think what what you're describing there, uh, this is something that on – 
to be perfectly honest, I don't even know how many episodes of our podcast, but something that just seems to be coming up over and over again, every issue that we come up against, every issue that we seem to talk about, no matter how different the issue, the solutions seem to keep cycling back to a positive discipleship or mentoring model. And that is what broke, in my understanding anyway, that is what broke when the when the world changed. And, you know, Tim, you've read a lot more on this than, than I have, so you're probably going to be much more qualified to make this statement, but at least in, from my observation, because technology moved so quickly, communication therefore moved so quickly for millennials and younger, that the the amount of change in the world meant that they grew up in a culture that was so different from what their parents grew up in that it made intergenerational communication almost impossible. And because of that, that broke down these mentorship structures. And so, you know, my generation grew up without a lot of positive mentoring relationships. And so, therefore, there's a lot that breaks that cycle. And so, that's going to be a lot harder for us to do with the next generation. I want to give some credit. So, we briefly mentioned Gen X um, and I just want to I, I want to point out that there is this kind of band of leadership, at least that I see here in the NAD, where the the Gen X leaders that are are very outspoken, are very powerful leaders here in the NAD, tend to be very much advocates for young leadership and for not being tied to method. Um, Myron Edmonds, Alan Martin, I assume is is Gen X. Ben Lundquist. Um, a lot of the leadership of things like uh, Crosswalk Church, of things like um, Growing Young, these kind of movements to say, okay, something's wrong. We definitely need to be listening to younger people, and we definitely need to be training young people to replace who's coming into the church because there's not enough of us. I don't know the number of people who stayed, but I will say there's a, a strong trend of 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 leaders that are not just trying to fill the position that was ahead of them in the same way, but to, to help facilitate something new um, and to take the church in a new direction. And I don't know, you know, I, I think even in, in this conversation, you know, Gen X is always the left out middle child and I understand why that happens. Um, But, but from my perspective, um, they are the glue between millennials and the church, not millennials in faith, millennials and the church, because they are the people who have gone into the meetings, done it the way that had to be done politically, that had to be done, you know, structurally, and then turned around and said, hey, help me find a way for to plug you into this, too. Um, because because, you know, somebody in the in the creative sphere you can still be an Adventist, you can still create something, and you can never go to church, and you can never participate in paying tithe or or any of the structural things. You're still going to be Adventist in your beliefs, but that tie to the church, that that um, that tie to the structure a little bit, I, I think that there's a, a, a link there in creating a new way for us to relate to church and to participate actively with the church. And I think that is really important to recognize that. I also, I feel like the unanswered question that was sort of hanging around what you were saying then is how important is that connection to the church? Because it would be very easy to argue and say, oh, well, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, if your theology is good and, you know, that's that's totally fine. But I think, uh, I mean, I, I'm in- interested in your perspective, guys, but my my thinking is the people that 
jettison the church because of what they perceive to be, you know, archaic methods or whatever it may be. While it, being connected to the church may be difficult, especially as a younger person, I think it comes with far more benefits than it comes with negatives. And I think that those positives possibly aren't well communicated because of the the communication barriers. I don't know. What, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think at least personally, there is value to having an organized structure. There's value to having a, a, an established network between people. Um, but I do think that the church organization is going to shrink. I do, absolutely. I think that there are things that we're putting money into that less and less people are going to be willing to put money into. Um, I think that we need more people investing locally and that we're going to see that um, and that they're they're kind of going to force the hand of the church to invest locally, um, I think, you know, but but when it comes to programs, there are so many programs that so few people even know about um, and things like if you just, for example, I'm a digital guy, right? So when I look at the cost of paper mail outs sent for an evangelist and I compare that with hiring someone like me. One evangelistic series in some cases, if you just did it online and not paper, uh, you could hire me, right? You could hire a person. So there are going to be things that we we phase out for sure that are kind of this, uh, this structure that was built for a generation that I think is going to shrink for ours. Um, but but I, I do believe that this kind of one degree of separation in Adventism, where you know someone who knows someone, is a powerful piece of our culture. And I think that it's, it's really important to, even if you have, you know, a hundred different looking churches in your area that sprout up and they're done very differently, I do think finding ways to link those together and to remain a part of some kind of uh, bigger group is very important, and I think naturally we're we're not going to leave that. I think that um, see if I can quote him correctly. Ty Gibson said this the best I've ever heard it said. We're a company with a perfect product. Working in Germany, trying to run a Chinese marketing campaign in Mexico, <laughs> and we can't figure out why it's not working. And I think there's truth in that. Our message is right. I think uh, I shared with both of you guys the, the uh, survey of uh, Gen Z that want to eat less meat. And there's a great opportunity there for, for us and our health message and so forth. Um, the problem for us is, is we speak Aramaic in a world or, you know, we speak Latin in a world that speaks every language but. And... We're trying to tell the world the correct things, but we're not doing it in a way the world understands. And that goes on inside the church as well as outside. We're not speaking to our younger folks in a way that makes sense. That's why they're not here. I think if you had a, if everything had been left to its own devices, right? No COVID, nothing to force the hand of the church. 
I really don't think that there would have been much in the way of these inroads, right? Like it would have been as far as the the shift of leadership to these sort of communication models that would actually work would have probably had to wait until, you know, there was, you know, millennial conference presidents and that, that were um, starting to make that happen. Of course, there seems to be more, uh, there's more happening around that now because of the situation we find ourselves in. But in what ways do you think, I mean, Caleb, you were just sharing about different ways you see the church changing as the leadership does continue to roll over. What are the other changes that you see happening as a result of the new generation taking taking those positions? I think some of the changes that we're going to see, I, I'm challenged in this because I am a person who completely understands the people walking away. I'm also a person who understands that when a position is vacated, you need somebody to fill it or the position is dissolved, right? So so if we have, you know, 60% of our pastors retire in the next 10 years, but we don't have the same amount of people, what that means is we are not allowed to provide the same amount of service, which means that we have to make structural changes to to adapt to that. So one, one change, like I said, is going to be that, but I also think there's going to be changes to how we do evangelism. You know, I, I think that um, the prophecy and, and health message and these things have important places. But I see so many opportunities that we don't take for evangelism in our current culture, our secular culture. Um, as you brought up, Tim, like the the trend in vegetarianism, right? I live in Portland, Oregon. This is their vegetarian all vegetarian, completely vegan restaurants everywhere, right? This is a, a societal movement that's happened without our influence. Um, and things like that, things like the going back to work-life balance, choosing more time with your family, choosing more time outdoors instead of in a cubicle or, you know, working, actually sacrificing finance to have more life, these are concepts we can speak to very, very well. We have the Sabbath, we have the health message, like we have a, a picture of God that is not holding somebody in eternity torturing them, right? We, we have so many answers to questions people are actually asking, but we're answer, answering them in the worst way we can. Um, we're truly there. We can rethink evangelism. We can rethink our communication. And I know because I do this, right? I am, I am 100% comfortable in a room full of atheists. I'm 100% comfortable being openly, visibly Adventist around people who have never heard of it. Why? Because I generally can guess what they care about. They care about how are other human beings treated? How is the earth treated? You know, and, and are you a person who's trying to prescribe your life to me? Or are you just talking about how it affects you? If you're talking about how it affects you and you're, you are a person that I want to be like, then I want to know why you got to be that way. You know, so, so I think we're going to see a much more relational, much less head, much more heart um, kind of evangelism. And I, I do think that that still leads to people joining the church in a roundabout way, but but we have lost credibility. We've lost, 
kind of this initial relationship first. And I think that's going to be a major change. I think when it comes to church programming, I think when it comes to evangelism, I think when it comes to the message itself, everything has to be sourced in God's love and relationship. Yeah, and you know, along those lines, that that is happening. I think to your point, Luke, it would have happened slower without COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe even as long as 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and COVID's kind of forced it. But you know, I'll give you a, a great example. So I'm an NCD coach, and I work with a couple of churches along about the same time frame. And so we did, uh, I went and preached at those churches a couple of times, met with them. We had some conference calls and stuff, and I worked with them for about two years. One of those two churches is the, the, the sad story. In two years, the only major change I could get them to do was paint the front door of the church. And that's a true story. Wow. <laughs> and they thought that was big change. Then, but now here's the other great story in there. The other one was uh, the first time I went to the church. The head elder was an older lady. She was in her 80s. She was so sad and so defeated, and just at a loss. You know what? What? What to do? Our church is dying. We know it's dying. We 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 want to do anything. Two years later, I go back to this church to to preach. Man, this lady is large and in charge. She's got a big booming smile on her face. Everybody in the church walks up and greets me when I walk in the door, um, greets my family. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's happy. Everybody's singing at the top of their lungs. It's a completely different church, and I take zero credit for that. But the point I'm making is, is there is that change. We are changing, and we are adapting, and it's going on. And even some of our older folks are coming along. I think mm. I think a great danger for us is to not to forget to reach back while we're reaching forward. A lot of our uh, I know there's going to be a group of folks that will not come along. I know this, but there, I think there's going to be some that will, and I think that those people have a really huge valuable place. Um, I think that we would do a disservice to ourselves if we don't keep that in mind as we keep moving forward. But what a, you know, yeah. what a good story to, with what Caleb was saying. Yeah, one of the things that um, Caleb you were saying before about you know listening to you know, listening to the younger generations being one of the answers, and that is great. I think I think there's a fine line because I think some people that are advocating for that, what they're advocating is just you know give young people whatever they ask for, and that's actually not what we're asking sure. for. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think that's really. It's really important to recognize that that doesn't that doesn't mean we're putting okay well whoever's younger is they've got the right answers that's not the point the point is you know where are we putting our focus where where are we where are we extending our love and our respect you know are are we treating our young people like they have nothing to offer and they just need to be quiet or are we treating them like they are valuable members of our church that have something to offer and we can unlock that by you know mentoring them in a way that they can understand and is going to appeal to them so yeah ben ben lundquist has a quote he says i've never met a young person who didn't want to be mentored never yeah. yeah because you know it's it's actually sad and somewhat patronizing to have this either or either it's all my way or you just take over yeah. that's not what we're asking for at all 
and hasn't been. Uh, it can feel that way because there are some very strong opinions out there. But really what's being asked is come alongside us and value our voice. You know, give us actual true authority and decision-making power in church with you. Not, not one of us necessarily telling the other person what to do. But, but I think that this, is, this collaborative model is also generationally difficult. You know, people are used to having a boss and people who obey the boss. And, and when you come to the younger generation, like, I don't want somebody who's my age being my boss as in dictating everything I do. I want someone who knows what they're doing that can also bring me on to contribute well. You know, but there there is this collaborative culture where the the power is much more shared than than just one person telling everybody what to do. And you guys want leadership. Mm-hmm. You guys are asking for leadership. You know, mm-hmm. silence and even some of the boomers, a lot of them were raised in that whole uh, children should be seen and not heard mentality. And then there's this concept of, and Caleb, I know you've experienced this, where a lot of baby boomers and silence believe that you need to pay your dues before you're allowed to ascend to different levels. You need to pay your dues. You need to do your time in the trenches and all that. That's a cultural thing that those generations were brought up to believe from childhood. And so they they definitely bring this, this... culture, if you will, into the equation here today. And that's kind of what you're battling. I mean, I got this as well. I grew up thinking a lot of this as well. Um, it, it took a, a lot of things to change my mind and uh, make me understand that that really probably is not going to fly anymore. Yeah. And one of the things I work with our, our management on is, is, you know, hey, top-down management really doesn't work well anymore. Good luck with that. Let me know how it works out for you. Um, yeah. So Caleb's absolutely right that the the way I've seen it is I don't think our young people are yeah like you said you're not wanting us to give you everything you ask for you're asking to work with us and I use as my example all those creatives that Caleb was talking about earlier there's hundreds of them they're everywhere and just in a few short years it's blossomed into all kinds of stuff is out there. And these are young people trying to spread the word of Christ and um, Seventh-day Adventists. And they're doing it on their own. How powerful is that? Why, why should we feel threatened by that? We should be embracing that. And especially if they're doing stuff that's working. I mean, you look at the number of followers, you the they're getting and so forth. I mean, they're reaching people, and this is where we got to go. And Caleb's right; they're, they're, people are starting to get it now. But uh, um, we we've been slow. My generation have been overly slow in, in embracing it. So I have a question, and Tim, I asked I asked you this question a little while ago in in the chat, and I uh, I just think it's interesting to observe because we're talking about all of these changes that we see happening and. I I couldn't help but wonder, does this mean that with this shift of values towards, you know, what millennials uh, are seeing as valuable, does that mean that our kids or their kids are going to be um, having this pendulum swing back towards more boomer and silent values? 
Okay, so uh, let me first confess that that other than some social science researchers, I'm probably the only one geeky enough to actually study this stuff. But according <laughs> according to that's why I ask you, my friend. Yeah, according <laughs> to Strauss and how generational theory, generations run in cycles of four, and they tend to repeat themselves. So um, millennials, by their prediction. Um, I'm a fan of Strauss and Howe's research. They're wonderful researchers. I'm not sure I agree with all the conclusions that they come to. Um, and they're way better at this than I'll probably ever be in my lifetime because this is what they do. But uh, uh, millennials are predicted to turn out more like boomers did. I'm not sure that it works that way. I, I, I have a personal theory that at some point Gen Z is going to start to get to you guys and – there's going to be there's going to be the human reaction to most of us can only accept just so much change, and then we're going to start digging in our heels and say I don't want any more for a little while. I need a break from this. I think that's human nature. So I'm not sure that that's necessarily generational, but I think Gen Z is going to be that for you guys. And then at some point you might get. And I I know that speaking for myself that as I've gotten older, my thought processes have mellowed and I'm not quite as risky as I used to be. And, um, you know, I, there, there's something to be said for age and wisdom. If you apply it right, all old people are idiots, just some of us, but, um, you get my point. So I think that as you guys continue into your later years, some of your value sets will change a little bit and it'll be cultural and it'll be circumstantial and all that. Um, but I would guess that Gen Z is going to be the burr under your saddle. Uh, I hear, I hear a lot of millennials talking about how they have such a hard time relating to Gen Z because they're so different. And both of you are shaking your heads right now. (laughs) Well, here's my fear. So, I have spent the better part of several years advocating for young leadership, advocating for digital work. Um, and generally, that is me talking to older people about the value of my generation, right? Hmm. Um, so right now, it's really easy to feel camaraderie with my peers because I am fighting for them and with them. I, I worry that as I age if I hang on to the same values that I have, that I will become somewhat put at odds with my own generation. Um, If I start to see our generation devaluing the ideas of the younger and devaluing the leadership of the younger and thinking that because we have achieved something somehow that our way is the method that has to be, you know, and, and we solidify I become this voice against my own peers to advocate again for a generation coming up with ideas we never had. Um, you know, and, and that's kind of a humbling thing to think about. Or, or worse, I become one of the people that unknowingly is, is hindering the next generation from leadership. I think there's some human nature stirred in that. I don't think that's necessarily generational. But I don't necessarily think that your generation is automatically going to go in that direction. But I can see your point. I find myself at odds with lots of boomers and Xers at times as well because my walk with Christ has taught me to see the world differently. 
and good discipleship from younger too, not just older, good discipleship that has made me open my eyes to the world that Jesus would have me see and not the, what Tim would have me see. So it's a, it's a valid fear, but yeah, you'll be all right. I think, so. I think there's a, a great a great statement David Ashrick said in, in one of his sermons. He was talking about Christian growth and maturity, and I think it really dovetails nicely with what you're saying, Tim, and that is you, know, you can choose to be the Christian who's had one year of experience 30 times, or you can have 30 years of Christian experience. And I think... I think that is exactly what we need. We need, because in every generation, like you say, in every generation, there are individuals that do it well, right? They they live their generation well, and they empower the next generation and move on. Like, just, like you're, just like you're describing and just like you're attempting to do, I would like to think that there are Tims in all generations, you know, who have that, that foresight. But I think that I think that's a challenge because it requires a level of self-awareness. And I think a lot of people don't have that that level of self-awareness to recognize those changes and to recognize that need for change i think the the numbers are astoundingly low and so i think the best future proofing that we can do for our our churches our families is to be that person right the one that that continues to grow and adapt and with that christian maturity be able to relate to other people outside of our generation in a way that is meaningful because if we don't do that then we just end up you know regenerating generation after generation with the same problems over and over again Something that I was thinking where you were talking, though, uh, when you were mentioning about the four-generation cycle and that, just curious, I don't know if this is something you've thought about, but is that, do we see that cycle, like, is that possible, I should say, to be seen in Scripture? Like, do we see that uh, throughout, like, any of these generational dynamics happening in previous generations, or is this somewhat of a more recent, or is it at least more visible in recent generations? I think it's a little bit of both. I don't see at all, biblically, the four-generation cycle. Um, I don't think that's there. And their study is based only in the United States, based on uh, the United States culture starting in about 1584 Mm -hmm. and then moving forward. So that's the basis for their research. And that makes sense because they have access to that. They, you know, that that's information you can study. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I can go back to the third century and find you quotes from, uh, of people that are complaining about younger generations, and if you read, <laughs> if you read the quote, you you would swear they're talking about it's a baby boomer talking about a millennial or something like that. Um, it, it, it's 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 very very humorous. Um, but I think there's generational differences in issues throughout the Bible. Now, a biblical scholar may argue with me a little bit on this. I'm just going to offer this up on my interpretation. But I think uh, the you know the kings are great examples. One does one thing, one generation does another. Um, you know, two generations do the same thing, and then three after them don't. And it's this whole mixed bag of uh, you know just change and people doing their own thing. And I think that's what generations do. Um, I uh, I think that um, one of my favorite uh, stories is uh, Jacob and his blessings to his sons. What is that? Genesis 49, right? Where he's mm. he's blessing his sons, and well, they're not all bless- <laughs> blessings that he's yeah. given them. But to me, I I just when I read that um, in the light of uh, a, a generational context. I'm like, oh yeah, there's definitely some issues between dad and his this next generation here. Um, and uh, oh, 
even the 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 prodigal son i think that's a, 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 a an outline of um a generational difference you know younger son doesn't have the life experience to make some of the decisions that he might otherwise make um dad actually has some wisdom in this one it's like okay I'm not going to fix this. I need to just let him go figure it out and then welcomes mm-hmm. him back when he comes. But I kind of look at that through a generational lens as well. And there's all kinds of scripture that's referring to generations and, um, mm-hmm. you know, ministering to the gener- to the generations ahead and to the ones behind. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I, I don't remember exactly how many I did a sermon once about this, but the the it's quite a few of as I recall it's over a hundred different references. Um, I may be wrong about that, so please nobody you know come blaze me on my Facebook page or something. But there's a lot of references to generations and generational things throughout the scriptures. So I don't think that this discussion is um, out of context of scripture. So I guess as as we come toward the the end of our discussion, I'm curious from both of you, what would you say would be the the keys to a graceful leadership transition as as we move to the the position where you know one generation is is becoming more prominent and and one is is uh, retiring or however however we want to phrase it, what do you think are some of the keys to a graceful transition of leadership? Grace. <laughs> Period. Yeah, in, in both directions, the the older mm-hmm. generations have to have gracefully step down and gracefully support. And uh, you know, sadly, I see some millennials that are real quick to be overly judgmental on the older folks. And mm. um, you know, ugly travels in every direction. We all know it. Um, mm. uh, uh, Caleb uh, actually took the time to sit through one of my generational classes. Uh, not that long ago, and um, he'll tell you that uh, I'm not sparing about talking about the good of all the generations nor the bad. I want to make sure that you, you paint everybody in the fair picture. Um, mm. So I think that grace in every direction is the answer to that, is that you know we've got to extend grace for our younger folks that don't have the life experience and things like that. We've got to be prepared to let them make mistakes, and it's okay. I mean, how many things out there can you really mess up that we can't fix? Hmm. There's probably not a lot. There's probably hmm. very few things that can't be repaired. Um, hmm. And fail. Uh, learning from failures is a very valuable teacher. You don't forget those lessons. Um, I think, and you handle that with grace. And then for uh, from the other direction, just being willing to understand that that, that what has gone before as a point of understanding not necessarily that we have to do it that way but understand that you know if you're the new head elder at 28 29 30 in a church full of 65 and up Mm -hmm. they have some definite ideas about how they've experienced church for a lifetime Mm -hmm. and so some some grace understanding that that's what you're dealing with it may not necessarily be right, but there's a way you can do it in such a way that everybody wins. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would, I would say that's also the most important thing. I would add to it curiosity. Um, so on the the end of the older generation, um, the things that bother you, the things that people want to be different, 
all of these different ways of communication that are different from what you're used to. Um, I would much rather see somebody who's willing to make mistakes but is curious about young leaders and just wants to learn and ask questions non-judgmentally and they can still hold the opinions they can they can hate the internet right Mm -hmm. it's okay to hate the internet and still ask why people like it (laughs) these are not conflicting things Mm -hmm. and and on the on the younger side curiosity about what formed people to be the way that they are why is are things done the way that they are what kind of you know factors contributed to to this result because a lot of times we see the action but we don't see all of the different factors and pressures that went into it there there are decisions that very likely somebody wanted to make and were either afraid of being fired afraid of their own church kicking them out you know I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I am saying that it, it changes our perspective of uh, why people are the way they are. And I think we have to be strong enough to say no when we're being asked to to do something that doesn't align with our values or isn't moving the church forward, but also still be curious about the people who, even the ones that frustrated us, mm-hmm. frustrate us, you know, why do they care so much about what they care about and what's driving them? You know, Luke, I'm gonna, th- I'm gonna, I'd like to throw one more quick in there. I think, yeah, I think we have to stand against toxicity within our churches, and that's that's probably a discussion all by itself. But I, I've, I've experienced it enough times to understand that we have quite a few of our churches out there that are riddled with toxic people and toxic ideas and toxic issues and we've got we've got to be willing and able to handle that it can't be just ignored we can't polite ourselves to death hmm. oh, i love i love that 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 absolutely should be a bumper sticker somewhere we can't polite ourselves to death <laughs> but it, it's true it, it is absolutely true i um i know he's probably what 82 now um and he's a head elder uh, of a church and has been for a really long time and he is possibly one of the leaders that i respect the most and he and he ceaselessly supports disciples promotes young people and does a beautiful beautiful job of it and he is probably one of the most accommodating loving gentlemen that i have ever known And yet I was talking to him about an issue that came up in one of his churches. This wasn't too long after I had become an elder because I was like trying to get some wisdom. And, um, and I said, Oh, so when that happened, what did you do? And, and he said, well, what can you do? You can't allow that to happen in the church. So you just, you know, he said, I was in the position. And so I made sure that that stopped and that never, never, never happened again. And, (laughs) and like, you know, he was very, very firm on it. And I was just like, wow, I like, I just wouldn't have expected that to come from him because of how he treats everybody. But in his mind, there was no room. Like it was like, okay, well, this is the line. They crossed the line. And so that's, I'm, I'm sorry, my church isn't worth their feelings, you know? And I was like, wow, that was just, um, it was really transformative to the way I thought about what it meant to be a mature Christian, because you can be both. You don't have to be, uh, you know, a marshmallow to um, actually effectively, run the church it requires both and god is both and so we why should we be surprised that it requires both on our part and the people that come to our churches deserve Mm. to be safe yes mentally emotionally physically they deserve Mm. to be safe Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate all of the, the thoughts. This has been a really fun conversation. And, you know, hey, who knows? We might um, you know, reboot and try this another time as well. But um, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity. Look, if, if you guys um, have anything that, that you do or you want to share, any, any last words, or if someone wants to find you, where they can find you or anything like that, um, feel free. This is sort of the, the time. So, Caleb, do you want to share what you're doing first? Or Yeah, I, I feel like I'm doing a lot. Um, that's because you so are but go on <laughs> the the main thing I do is facilitate story and you can find the results of that um, mostly on uh, facebook.com slash humans of adventism um, and yeah the, basically what I'm doing is finding people and talking to them about life experience and how what it was like to live through that and how they were affected by it um, very simple concept but a very bonding one so facebook.com slash humans of Adventism. It's also on Instagram at humans of Adventism or at adventisthumans.com. Thank you. And, and Tim, is there any place that you'd like to point people to or would you prefer to remain hidden? I guess, <laughs> yeah, well, um, there's some duality there. Um, but uh, no, you can find me on Facebook. Just if you find me, my name is Tim Baumgarten Sr. Baumgarten spelled B-A-U-M-G-A-R-T-E-N. Uh, just send me a friend request or uh, uh, message me so I know who you are, and uh, I'm glad to connect with you. I, I um, am a corporate trainer, and my biggest focus is on organizational health. And I have a passion for that that I love to apply to churches. It's one of the reasons I wanted to become an NCD coach. I, very, I have very strong convictions about healthy churches. And so uh, that that's my thing. Like Caleb tells stories, and and he's brilliant at it. Uh, my hope is to just help anybody have a healthy church. And uh, if you guys want to hear more about that, that was the the main focus of our previous episode with Tim. So I'll make sure the link to that is in the show notes, and uh, also at Caleb's previous episode too, which was uh, building bridges, not walls. So. Um, yeah, we'll leave it there. Thank you, guys. Um, hope, you, hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you have any feedback, let us know. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend, and we will catch you guys for our next episode next Tuesday. Bye. And that's the end of another episode. Just before I head off, I want to encourage you to go over to our page on Facebook and also our account on Instagram and follow us there because that is where we interact with our listeners and we would love for you to enter in and join the conversation. Also, while you're signing up, I would also recommend signing up to our mailing list on our website, oztabletalk.com.au. If you do that, you will receive our exclusive content because occasionally we do release exclusives and they only go out to our mailing list so i would strongly recommend you go and sign up for that if you have a few more minutes to be one of the most amazing listeners on the planet you can go over to itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review because reviews help us to grow and they help other people to find us so if you want to help us reach those goals please jump in and give us a review the final message that i'd like to leave you with is to let you know about our patreon account now 
Patreon is a way for creators to get paid for creating. And ultimately, what we do does cost money to get us hosted and have the services that we need to run the podcast. And so if you'd like to help us do that, jump over onto patreon.com slash oztabletalk and you can you can give anything from even a dollar a month upwards. But at different levels, there are different benefits, different rewards that we want to give you just to say thank you for being an amazing supporter of ours. If you can't afford that, we would just gratefully accept your prayers because that is what our ministry runs on. And so with that, I will leave you to your day and thank you so much for listening to this episode. We look forward to seeing you guys next week.